bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. I'm Paul Dragu. Since 2020, we've experienced the most radical changes and tyrannical events in modern times. But there's a common belief that we haven't seen anything yet, that all the turmoil and insanity so far has been building up to a crescendo of major chaos. Something big is happening this year. Everyone can feel it. From online chatter to in-person conversations, especially among the red pill, everyone, and even a large segment of the normie population, believes that 2024 is going to be different, that it's going to be a wild year. Now, the main question is, what is likely to plunge the world into complete disarray in this year? Since we only have 40 minutes, there's no way we can cover all the possibilities, but we'll try our best, and we'll even have a few wild car scenarios. So joining me is the publisher of the New American Magazine, Dennis Barrett, and the executive senior editor, uh, Steve Bonta. I don't know how I'm saying That's me. You got it. <laughs> All right. So Dennis, we're going to start with you. Thanks, um, Paul. What is, in your opinion, the event that is most likely to plunge us into disarray? Well, you know, to start with, we have a uh, boatload of black swans lined up at the starting line at the beginning of this year, and it's going to be a race to see which one hits us at the end first. But I think a strong candidate is one that's already been flexing its muscles, and that is the one outlined a century ago, more than a century ago, and expanded upon by... Uh, Helford Mackinder, the British geographer in the mid-century writing for foreign, foreign Affairs, he was called upon by the CFR to pen an article on his thoughts, and uh, that is what's taking place in Ukraine. And of course, we've all been worried about that since it kicked off, uh, but Mackinder pointed out that um, if you had a, uh, an alliance or even a unification of uh, what he called the heartland, which is Russia and Germany, that would create a landed empire in the Eurasian landmass that would be impossible for an, an Atlantic power, uh, be that uh, Great Britain, which was his primary concern, or the United States and Great Britain, uh, would be impossible to contend with. And that they looked upon this as a zero-sum game. It's the us or them. And so from Mackinder's geographical analysis, his hypothesis, which was adopted by our own foreign policy establishment uh, after the Second World War, Keeping Germany and Russia apart is the essential goal. And for us in the present day, that's the Ukraine gambit. That's what's going on in Ukraine. That's why we've engineered uh, the color revolution there years years ago leading up to this event. That's why we goaded Russia into its kinetic activity today. And that's why we've been working so hard to fund it and keep it going and why there have been no peace talks. It's the Mackinder policy. It's the Mackinder strategy laid out and activated right now in the present day. And that's for all the marbles. That's for everything. That's that's for our foreign policy's establishment view of the new world order versus what they think is the alternative. And uh, depending on how that's prosecuted moving forward, uh, this is a desperate situation and one that's incredibly dangerous. So you don't think there's going to be any resolution there? Is it because there, we, we just can't agree on any terms? Is that what it's going to come down to? Our current foreign policy establishment, as headed by our selected president currently in the White House, I don't think can ever and will ever back down on its current trajectory. Do you, Steve, do you think this could lead to a, a nuclear escalation? Oh, absolutely. And I've been saying this I, in pre. I mean, we published an article, a cover story of the New American Magazine, more than a month, like two months before the invasion. And we, we said, in effect, we predicted, in effect, at the time, the, A, the invasion is going to take place, and B, if it does take place, there's really no foreseeable scenario, the stakes having been raised so high, 
that, that either side can back down. Because on the one side, of course, you have Putin, who is nothing if not a man of iron will. I mean, he's, he's, he's a hideous despot. He's mm. certainly shown his true colors. I, I'm not sure he, he necessarily started out that way. He's never been a nice guy. But in the early years, he was a pretty effective, you know, unifier of Russia, um, sort of brought order to the, to the post-Soviet chaos of, of Boris Yeltsin and, and, and people of that, of that stripe in the 90s. So for a while, he was, he was quite effective. But now he seems to be just consumed with this lust to reconstitute the Soviet, indeed the, Ru- the Russian Empire. And that will ultimately mean encroaching not just on Ukraine and Moldova, but on the Baltics, which are NATO members, Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, and po- possibly elsewhere as, w- as well. So, he, you know, um, so, so what, where does that leave us? On the one hand, he, and he, we, we saw this last year with the abortive uprising by, by Prigozhin, and there are certainly other Prigozhin-esque malcontents, Prigozhin himself having been ushered to, his, uh, to an untimely eternal re- reward. Imagine that. What but, a yes, coincidence. By Putin, who is known for, you know. He, like he two off- hours afterwards, huh? <laughs> well, no, it was a couple months afterwards, yeah. but, you know, he, he, anyway, so, so the message has been sent. The stakes are deadly and they're very high as far as Putin is concerned. There is no turning back, okay, on the one hand. But on the other hand, the highest stake as far as the so-called West is concerned, is the maintenance of the post-World War II mm. world order. Is that what the crux okay. is here? Is that what's at stake? Well, I, I think so. But, but Although it goes further back than that. I mean, you have that to think... That rules-based order, right? Well, that rules-based order actually extends arguably all the way back to, the, to, to, to you know, the classical age and so forth. We don't need to get into that. But, but for convenience, let's say that it started discernibly with the, the Peace of Westphalia at the end of the Thirty Years' War, which established for the first time, at least in modern times, the principle that it's no longer acceptable to simply invade and conquer your neighbor because you happen to disagree on some matter of policy or in particular religion, because of course the Thirty Years' War was a religious war. It's devastated Europe for three decades and it was fought largely along Catholic versus Protestant fracture lines. And it was a desolating event. In fact, like World War I, probably as many or more people died of famine and disease during that period as, as, you know, as died from actual battlefield wounds, okay? A number of uh, great leaders were, 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 were uh, you know, hewn down in battle and so forth and so on. We didn't rehearse the history, but what came out of it was this idea of equivalent sovereign nations that need to behave according to certain rules. Now, obviously, the so-called Westphalian principles have been certainly imperfectly observed since then, but they were a first step, at least they're viewed you know, as as, as widely in, in the foreign policy elites as being a first step towards this order that we have now where, you know, there's this widespread recognition that we're never going to completely overcome the rapacious, you know, bloodlust type, you know, impulses of, of, of nations as long as we have sovereign nations. Of course, the goal is eventually to do Not away to with that too, but nations. we won't get to that right now. But 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 as long as they exist, but, but if we could at least trammel those in various ways. So you have the Westphalian principles, Later, the Geneva Convention, which says, okay, you know, if you have to go to war, there are certain conventions that you should, if you're going to pretend to be civilized, you treat prisoners in a certain way, you treat civilians in a certain way, so forth and so on. And then, of course, eventually along comes the United Nations, which takes it to the next level, which is, okay, now we're going to try to, to tackle the problem, as they call it, of sovereign countries and create a, a, a world order. Out of that thinking, at the same time, of course, the European Union project began with Monet and others and the even was being thought up during World War II and, of mm. course, you know, shortly thereafter began and was built up. In, so this is, this is the culmination. They view this whole order 
in which Europe, frankly, has, you know, since World War II, there has been probably a lot less bloodletting on the continent than was the case in any comparable period in earlier centuries. I mean, before certainly World War II. Before World War II, before World War I, you know, yeah. I mean, the 19th century, the Napoleonic Wars, you know, the wars of, you know, the various wars, um, Bismarck uh, and so forth and so on. And, and going on back, okay, the Seven Years' War between France and, and, and England. So the, the, the hope is that we've been able to move beyond that. And, and from their point of view, what Putin has done is, is, is two things. Number one, he's threatened that entire, the, the order as it exists right now, yeah. of the sort of tenuous adherence to all of these norms and, that but, have been built up. And then, and then also, uh, not only threatens that, but then also might torpedo any possibility for building further upon it by transforming the European Union into a true, you know, international super state and then go on to erect a full new world order. So those, from a globalist point of view, those are the real stakes and they are absolutely incompatible with any degree of ceding to Putin's demands because doing that would probably fatally discredit the whole European Union New World Order right. project. And would that be so bad? I mean, I'm no Putin apologist. I was I, I grew up in Eastern Europe. Uh, we saw what the Russians did and whatnot. But I can't imagine, I, I'd imagine a multipolar world is better than this unipolar world that is heading towards a New World Order. Yeah, we only hmm. care about this in the sense of caring about it because of considerations of power politics geopolitically. Uh, the American people, if you look at it from a traditional Americanist foreign policy standpoint, we don't need any of this. If we had a traditionalist American foreign policy mm-hmm. going back to, say, the Jeffersonian period where we had goodwill toward all, free trade, and just defense of the continental United States yeah. and uh, whatever territories may legitimately be governed by us, we don't have these problems and we don't care about what happens in Europe and we don't care Hold about that what thought, Russia's Dennis. doing. We got to come back. We're going to finish that. That's a great conversation we're going to have. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow. Safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you get a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and on the drop-down, hit subscribe. If you prefer, you can call for your subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 1-800-727-8783. So Dennis, we were talking about this idea of uh, unipolar world versus multipolar world and Putin. Uh, Go ahead and finish that thought. Well, you know, the thought is that if we had a traditionalist American foreign policy, we don't have to care about the power politics of geopolitics 
political concerns as they pertain to Europe. It's just not, this is not necessary for American pr- prosperity, for American peace, and for anything that Americans actually care about. The trouble is we've adopted the Atlanticist foreign policy that we brought over from Great Britain, from the empire of Great Britain, mm. which again is based on Halford Mackinder, in the modern world anyway, is based on Halford Mackinder. He was not an American. He did not have an American sentiment behind his work. He was purely concerned with the British Empire, and we just adopted that as our foreign policy, and we brought that empire-building mindset to our foreign policy establishment. And Biden and his administration, Biden himself, harkens back directly to that specific foreign policy establishment. Uh, Hillary Clinton before him did, uh, Kissinger before they did, and they are continuing to execute on that vision as as expressed by Halford McKinder. That's where we are today. That's what's going on and doesn't need to be. It's because we're obsessed with building an empire, the new world order empire. Yeah. We're obsessed with it. And we see the heartland, which McKinder called uh, Russia. We're obsessed with the idea that the heartland could become a competing empire that we couldn't stop and contend with. And so we must keep Russia separate from Germany because Russia's uh, access to resources and Germany's access to mm-hmm. technical industrialism would be an unbeatable combination in the Mackinder worldview. That's what we're trying to disrupt. Is that really that legitimate of a threat? Because now nations are so powerful. I mean, just the nuclear arsenals alone, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, back how individually they say the Colt 45 made everyone equal. You know, I'd imagine with nukes, it'd be something similar. Like it's like, okay, so you have this empire who's, who's a lot more powerful, yeah. but it's the same reason we somewhat fear the Russians because it's like, while we ha- we're technologically advanced in, in almost every way, we know that they have the power to fight back and destroy us as well. It's completely illegitimate thinking. It doesn't need to be followed. It's not. It's it's completely incorrect. It's only because it's become entrenched uh, thought processes that are part of our foreign policy establishment. It's it's not even questioned. It's just the way it is. Mm. And so we prosecute things moving forward on the basis of this almost theological outlook and foreign policy. And it doesn't have to be that way. There's there's actually no legitimacy to it in the modern world. But yet, this is what we're doing. All right. Well, let's move on to... Well, and, 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 that's your, and that's the point. I mean, we're not necessarily on this show arguing for this foreign policy posture or that. But we are saying this is the pragmatic reality of the world that we have right now. I mean, for example, how we got to this point, we can talk about it. But the fact is, right now, there are thousands of nuclear missiles targeting targeting American cities based in Russia. That is a fact right. that cannot be avoided or willed away. Right. Let's go to China. Now, of course, uh, we've covered China extensively. There's a there's a lot of saber rattling on, on that end. What do you think of everything erupting based on or from China? Steve, you've you've obviously lived there. You've you've watched it. You're watching that part of the world pretty closely. Uh, how China invading Taiwan could something uh, or is it the Philippines or whatever? what what do you think? Okay, well, let's see. We can probably do this fairly briefly. First of all, China, everyone's focused on Taiwan, but again, looking at the pragmatic reality is you know to invade the mainland of Taiwan successfully would be a military feat that frankly, beside which the D-Day invasion would pale by comparison for a number of, because of a number of geographical and climatic parameters, you know, that I don't want to discuss here, but it'd be extremely difficult. The U.S. itself didn't, you know, thought about it and discarded it as a possible option in the Pacific War in World War II, because at that time, Taiwan was 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 controlled by about 40, 50,000 Japanese troops. And we decided it wasn't worth, you know, sending 500 thousand marines yeah. to get the job done today with satellites there's no way 
you know, China could, could, could build up and, and launch a surprise invasion like the D-Day invasion essentially was. So it would be an absolute bloodbath. I doubt seriously that China is willing to tr try it all in one fell swoop. They might try annexing, you know, Kimoy and Matsu, you know, the coastal islands, even, maybe even the Penghu or Pescadores archipelago midway across the strait, or alternatively, and I think this is the biggest danger, um, and it will, be, it will become greater if the Chinese economic crisis continues to circle and swirl down the drain. I mean, their, their, their economy is in very bad shape now, and this is something unexampled in the lifetimes of any, all Chinese people under the age of 50. They've never seen an economic collapse before, and now they're experiencing it. So she is, Xi Jinping is, is in a very tight spot, and he's strongly incentivized to come up with some kind of distraction. Letting slip the dogs of war is, of yeah. course, the tried and true way of doing this. Possibly what's going on in the South China Sea with regard to the Philippines is even more combustible, if that is possible, than the Taiwan situation, okay? Because the Philippines, unlike Taiwan, is a treaty-bound ally of the United States. And the U.S. knows, just as it knows with its NATO allies in Europe, that if it were, for example, to allow Russia to simply walk into Vilnius and, and conquer Lithuania and say, well, I guess the NATO treaty, that would completely destroy the NATO opera uh, operation. It would destroy the U.S.-centered world order you know, global trust in U.S. promises would instantly evaporate. Well, the same is true if we abandoned the Philippines to their fate and allowed China to, say, seize Palawan and parts, and parts of Luzon and Mindanao that it deemed that it fancied, you know. Yeah. So at some point, you know, the Chinese may push hard enough. There have already been things that approach acts of war committed against Philippine vessels in, in the what's called the West, they call the West Philippine Sea, um, you know, using water cannons against their vessels, ramming their vessels yeah. by Chinese military Coast Guard vessels. So we're getting very close. And that could actually be, you know, the big surprise well, of 2024. What about the possibility of outright war with the United States? There's been a lot of saber rattling between the two nations. I mean, Biden, uh, for once in his lifetime, was actually honest. He called she a dictator when she visited, but they've been funneling fentanyl. They're stealing intellectual property. They're preparing for war. They're building this massive army. What are the chances that outright war with the United States and China could erupt? What do you think, Dennis? Not I likely? I think slim to none. Oh, okay. Uh, because neither country has the ability to, to conduct a land war against the other. We'd only have a naval skirmish, skirmish, an air war skirmish, and it would be regional. It might be bloody, it might be horrible, but uh, a real world-changing land war type massive conflict conflagration between the two com no, countries, no. I don't think it's possible. Well, I think what people are concerned about, of course, would it be escalating a nuclear exchange. And right now, China is believed to have several hundred, at least several hundred warheads you know, the, the Dongfeng missile series that can hit uh, the United States pretty much anywhere in the U.S., which is something relatively new. It, it, it you know, it, it had nuclear warheads for decades before it developed the capability to deliver them to U.S. soil. Um, and, of course, the whole metaphor that alluded to earlier, the dogs of war, implies that, you know, you can choose to start a war, as Putin did with his invasion of Ukraine, as we did with our invasion of Iraq in 2003, but you can't necessarily choose the terms on which that war comes to an end. And th this is an issue. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, how far would China and the U.S. be willing to go? A nuclear exchange, massive missile barrages on both sides might, frankly, render nugatory 
uh, you know, ground invasions of respective countries. So who knows? Do you think MAD still applies? I mean, are, are people still reasonable enough to fear mutually? Uh, well, this is a pro- you know, this is a problem. I mean, Chinese traditionally Mao made the comment way back in the '60s, right after China first detonated a nuclear device. People said, "Aren't you afraid of mutual assured destruction?" He laughed and said, "So what? We've got 600 million Chinese. If they kill three, t- several hundred million, we still got two or three hundred million." So, so that's that's the mindset. I and I don't want to sound racist or anything, like that, but that is the mindset in communist China that that that's hundreds of millions of their people are certainly expendable. They right. can outdie us if need be. You know, we can kill a billion of them, and they kill all of us. And but we, some would and say, they, that- and, and they still outlast us because of their population. That's the mindset. But I think they're really pragmatic, and if they can accomplish their goals without doing that, of I think they will. And I think they believe they can accomplish their goals, and I think they see our weakness yeah. as indicative of that they're being able to accomplish their goals without without getting into that type of thing after this we're going to look at the middle east in 1988 the john birch society produced a documentary so predictive it's as though they had a time machine out of control immigration invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter william f jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that in 1988 already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the u.s unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship but also certainly some are criminals potentially terrorists Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control. Immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polished Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. All right, folks, welcome back. So, Steve, you wanted to add something about Korea before we move on to the Middle East. We're going to cover that part. Go ahead. Well, North Korea in particular. I mean, I mean, there, there were a spate of New Year's mm. addresses delivered around the globe. Uh, you know, the aforementioned Putin and Xi both expressed clearly their ambitions for 2024, which have left people shaking in their boots. But not to be outdone, you know, North Korea's supremo dictator, Kim Jong-un also said, well, first of all, he did something that was rather surprising. He renounced any claim on South Korea, which was quite historic, and said, but then he went on to say, because our real enemy, our implacable foe, and the place we're, we're preparing for is, that war us? is the United States. <laughs> a big so, state, no. So just, I mean, not to make too fine a point of it, because we have other probably more pressing issues, but North Korea is, is also in the mix. 
particularly because it's still regarded, however tenuously, as as China's ally. I was going to say, would we you lump war, them in the China category? Right. I mean, China, you know, the last time we went to war in the Korean Peninsula, China was drawn in, and it could it could be so again. A, a related question is, do they have the ability to nuke American cities yet in Pyongyang? My guess is probably they're still not quite there, but they're getting darned close. They yeah. still haven't quite mastered all the reentry technology because that's that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. It's easy to like hurl a lump of molten metal, uh, relatively easy anyway, across the Pacific Ocean, you know. But if they bombard San Francisco with a bunch of you know molten molten former rocket nose cones, nobody's going to be impressed. The the thing <laughs> is to make sure they come down intact and then, you know, kaboom. And so they're close to that, and they might well achieve that this year. Yeah. All right, Dennis, what do you think about the the Middle East? Obviously, that was the latest to erupt there. Uh, We're pretty involved there. Obviously, on the side of Israel, there's been quite a few kerfuffles, especially with proxies in Iran. Uh, My greatest concern would be that we would take off the Iranians enough where they can uh, activate some of their sleeper cells that we assume they have here. Now, obviously, we've talked about, not obviously, but we've talked about this off, off camera. You're not very concerned about that, are you? Well, I don't think the, the Iranians are going to, in and of themselves, activate too much uh, of their potential capacity to cause trouble. Uh, beyond what they've historically been doing, I think they'll continue at that level uh, intrinsically on their own. But they're not the only player in the equation. And uh, we certainly are part of that equation. And there's at least two reasons why we would probably, as Americans, not be surprised to see us uh, aggravate the situation over there a little bit more than it has been. One, natural natural gas and, and oil, oil resources. Uh, there is a very large natural gas field right off the shore in the Mediterranean off of Gaza. Uh, that needs to be developed from the point of view of uh, supplying energy to Europe. All this green energy stuff, notwithstanding, everyone in the real world knows that natural gas and oil and, to a lesser extent, coal still matter. And so that gas field in the Med needs to be exploited to feed Europe fuel, and it will be. And I think that's part of what's going on over there right now. We continue to have troops stationed in Syria. We continue to be active militarily in Iraq. And no doubt we will continue to be more aggressively active elsewhere in the Middle East because we need to stabilize that region to exploit its oil resources. That's been the case for decades, continues to be the case today, and I think it continues to be a flashpoint because is of that. It, my understanding is that we don't, do we actually get oil from there? It doesn't matter that we get oil from there or not. It matters that the resources there are necessary for other elements of Western civilization. For the maintenance of, of global oil prices. Exactly, yeah. Right. Sure. Oh. Well, I think, I just want to add to that. I mean, the other story, kind of a sleeper story, is that Iran apparently this month, by most estimates, and, and may have already passed it, uh, sometime between now and the end of this month is going to achieve nuclear breakout. So I think one sleeper story this year could be an Iranian wow. nuclear test mm. or a preemptive, massive Israeli or joint Israel-U.S. strike on Iranian assets at Natanj and elsewhere to try to, you know, by, by, by ground, you know, commando force on ground as well as by air to try to destroy the Iranian assets before it produces nuclear weapon or weapons-grade plutonium. And this is an issue only because if you think the North Koreans are crazy, (laughs) I mean, the mullahs of Iran are the (laughs) one country that can be counted upon not to act entirely in cynical, calculated self-interest because they really do believe- Well, they're looking forward to 70 virgins, aren't they? (laughs) They, No, but they also believe, you know, they they also believe, many of them have this, this crazy, you know, Islamic version, messianic 
view that, that, that creating a war to end all wars in the Middle East and, and nuking Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, but Tel Aviv and so forth and so on, you know, will inevitably bring about the return of the Mahdi. I mean, this is nightmare stuff. Wow. They are very capable, you know, they have the mentality. I don't think that's exaggerated by Western propaganda, though, of course, there is plenty of anti-Iran propaganda. And speaking of which, I mean, if we were looking for a possible election year distraction here in the United States, Iran is probably exhibit number one, because as of now, they're not a nuclear power. So unlike China or Russia, we can we can prod them and not get nuked back. Okay, so and so I I think the conceit still exists that we can contain a war with Iran. It would can we because they're friends with the Russians. It would be massive. Well, that's of course, that's that's another that's what a lot of people are saying, but it would be probably you know, be more massive than our wars with with Iraq. It would not be a play, but it, it might be enough if things get too dire for Biden and company leading up to the, the elections in the fall, which I think we're going to talk about in the next segment, a lot of detail. A war with Iran would be the ideal recipe for even perhaps as much as a pretext to delay the elections, to mm. declare some sort of wartime footing, but not so so terrible that there's an actual real likelihood that D.C. That will get lose. vaporized, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad we we went now to the domestic. There's it's so many issues there. I think the election is the number one uh, issue that people think about. Now, I think one of the most common, and maybe this is just more mainstream than 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 anything. One of the most common ideas regarding the elections is that no matter who's going to win, there's going to be some sort of civil unrest. Obviously, if Trump loses, then there's going to be a lot of people who are going to think it's illegitimate. Um, and if Trump wins, then they're going to let out the ghouls, the goons that they have. We saw it with Antifa, BLM, all all that stuff. I, I guess what I'm saying is it seems like no matter whether Trump loses or, or, or wins, there's going to be unrest. And I'm also wondering if Trump does uh, does lose, if maybe they'll stage a false flag uh, where they'll say, look, the MAGA, they just couldn't handle it anymore. So they uh, and if they do that, then that maybe is going to trigger a real uh, fl- uh, pushback from, I don't know, the MAGA segment or whatever. People say, we've had enough. The government's been captured. We we see no other choice. What do you think of that, Dennis? Well, I think, you know, you, you often hear the conceit every time there's a presidential election that this year is the most important presidential election in history. This uh, time it's true, though, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe the most important, but more concerningly, I think it's the most fraught presidential election in history because of the things you've just said. Uh, there are two irreconcilable sides uh, in, amongst what might be considered the front runners, being the incumbent Biden administration and being uh, Trump on the other side. The, these are irreconcilable, these groups. Right. Um, not the candidates themselves necessarily, but the groups behind them. Yeah. And neither side will accept the victory of the other. Uh, so that leads you to question, will per- that be allowed to play Particularly in light of out? all the, the lawfare and all yes. this other stuff that's been going on. So the question I wonder about is, will that be allowed to play out? Because... Is the kind of strife that uh, is in the offing as a result of it playing out going to be desirable to the ends of those who are uh, hoping to manage the show forward for the uh, strategic uh, construction of the new world order, if you will? And um, I tend to think that this will not be allowed to play out and that there's going to be found some third way forward, some pressure relief valve. And I think there are two possible pressure relief valves in the offing, uh, one being more likely from the establishment side than the other, perhaps. But I, I'd say the two of them are uh, Nikki Haley on the establishment side, uh, mm-hmm. and I think the other is RFK Jr. 
Uh, either you one. You think they'll let RFK Jr. near the White House? I think Nikki Haley's much more likely because she represents the establishment. She would be the establishment candidate yes. if she were run, if she were in the lead. And I think that's probably the most likely outcome on, in my view. But I don't think, I don't oh. think uh, RFK is uh, an outlier either. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from ShopJBS.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. All right, so Dennis, um, you said something interesting. You don't even think it's going to get to the point where it's going to be Trump versus Biden. I find it hard to believe that they'll let RFK Jr. anywhere near that. I do, however, it's clear that Nikki Haley is the establishment choice. But even in that scenario, I think that would trigger the same thing that I was speaking of uh, earlier, and that being that if Trump does not make it there, then it's going to to trigger the same sentiment among among the right, MAGA, whatever you want to call it, where they're going to say, it's done. The whole game is rigged. We cannot allow this to happen anymore. We've lost our country. Then the question is, what do they do? And that, I think, at some point, MAGA has had enough. You know, maybe that could be the case. We certainly see Hollywood getting behind that idea and promoting it. Right. They're pre-programming um, they're already. pre-programming it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a concern, I think. You know, if you're an American citizen that cares about the future of this country, you need to resist these sentiments. You need to resist them hard. And you need to tell people to, uh, you know, take the Christian way forward and love your neighbor, and try to educate people on what is good American civics, and uh, don't take up arms against your fellow Americans, because that plays right into the hands of the people who are trying to manage crisis to achieve uh, a dictatorial and uh, terrible outcome, which we don't want. And that's the reason the John Burr Society has always existed, is because we've seen this coming down the pike. And we said, look, we have to do this peacefully. We have to restore our nation. We have to take back our government uh, peacefully. How do you see this planning out, play, playing out, uh, Steve, the election? Well, issues? again, I mean, I see domestically this, the, the irreconcilable differences between the two factions, the, you know, the MAGA Republicans on the one hand and the radical left embodied by the Biden Democrats on the other as just as irreconcilable as, the, as Putin's Russia versus the, the Eurocrats and globalists that are arrayed against him mm-hmm. in Ukraine. And for similar reasons, mutatis mutandis, I do not see any way that this is going to be neatly resolved, barring some sort of divine intervention, because uh, we have seen 
really since 2016, the radical left wage implacable, contemptible war, you know, war against everyone they perceive as enemies, including us, mischaracterizing us as right. being, you know, rabid fascists and pro-dictator and ignorant and violent and racist and right. homophobe and on and on and on. Um, none of which apparently constitutes hate speech. But anything that we say in response always is hate speech and, and inevitably, invariably amplified by the mainstream media. And, of course, mm -hmm. all the Democrat politicians, all of this, you know, just just shameless prevarication. Um, and then, of course, now seeing what they're doing to Trump and the MAGA movement and a lot of the January 6 people who did nothing more criminal than happened to be in the area of the Capitol building mm -hmm. or in some cases walk inside the Capitol building but committed no actual acts of of violence. I mean, it's not to say there weren't some things that were wrong with January 6. It clearly was a riot. But, but what's going on there is clearly an attempt by anyone with a clear-headed perspective to, to suppress a certain a, a point of view of a very large swath of the American people. And those people, I mean, you know, I remember the Trump years very well. I was living in Arizona for the first couple years of the Trump presidency. And I remember well one time trying to drive through Phoenix while Trump was having a I'll drive around Phoenix and route to Tucson where I lived. And Trump was having a rally in downtown Phoenix. I had some friends that were there and they were being attacked. And there was a massive you know, mob violence. They were assaulting the outside of the building where it was held and, and they were attacking people. People had to be ushered, escorted out by police. It was unbelievable. Okay. Mm. So this idea that, well, there, there's moral equivalence here. You know, no, we're not out there attract, attacking Biden's supporters. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I, we could go on. But it, but of course, I don't want to this to devolve into a blame game either. I mean, to some yeah. extent, we have to to rise above that. But this is, the, the again, the, the reality of what's going on. And if they're willing to do what they're doing to Trump and his supporters and some of the people that were close to him during that, you know, that that period, you know, Rudy Giuliani and all these other people, um, to, 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 to wage what we're euphemistically calling lawfare against them. Is there anything that's beneath them? Okay, so for example, let's assume that Trump wins and regardless of any monkey shines at the polls or the voting machines or anything else, his win is so unambiguous that no amount of voter fraud can overcome, uh, it. Can, can overcome it. Okay, so he's won the presidency, okay? Is it too much of a stretch to say, well, they might just decide to get in cahoots, when, you know, to reach out to all these, 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 you know, the Joint Chiefs, Chiefs of Staff, the, the leaders, the generals who are, lead, who are all woke, as we know now, okay, and say, you know, are you going to support us, in effect, in refusing to allow Trump to become sworn in as president, to invoke the 25th Amendment, whatever right. legal pretext they can concoct? And of course, the excuse will be because he's a fascist, because he'll destroy the because country. Because he's an insurrectionist. He's, and on and on and on. You know, all this stuff. It, you know, so, so I mean, it, you know, you, you can see, it, I mean, it's cliche to note that they always do what they accuse their yeah. opposition of doing. You know, uh -huh. they are the insurrectionists. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't want to get any more finger point, but, the, but the, this is the reality of what's going on. And on the other hand, you know, people on Trump's side are increasingly, you know, on our side, in fact, are increasingly saying, you know, we're getting really tired of just being pushed around right. by, by these right. bullies. Yeah. You know, at some point you have to say, how are we going to stop this? What is the mechanism for preserving the republic? And for a lot of people, the simplistic, easy way is, well, let's just, you know, as Dennis was saying, take let's, up arms. Like and, said, take up arms. And, yeah. and, and that, is, that, that, that is really unfortunate. But we've gotten to the point where discourse is so envenomed mm -hmm. and the hatred has become so real and so palpable 
I think it's hard to see a way back from the break. It is. It is. It really is. Let's talk about some wild card scenarios with the few three minutes we have left. One of the things I've been watching is this um, emergence, all these instances, especially last year, of all these UFO reports. And we talk about them a lot. We don't report on them because, like we were talking about yesterday's show, there's not a whole lot of evidence, a whole lot of things to go through. But um, I think that's something to watch. Gary Nolan, the scientist, had said that over the years, he said two years ago, that in the next two years, there's going to be a whole lot more whistleblowers coming out. Now, one of the things I'm, I, I would worry about that is that they're going to use that in a way to clamp down the control. If they say that there's a reveal and that we've been talking to aliens, there, there's no At this point, anything goes. We've seen it. And, you know, it's like I can't imagine that if they say that, then they're going to say it's like great news. We've discovered free energy. You could be all more free, whatever. It's it's obviously always goes the other way. So I think that's something to watch. I'm not saying that's going to be an event that triggers something, but I don't think that the stuff that's coming out is for no good reason. You know, uh, we're going to do more research in the future and whatever and talk about it. Well, people believe in the mythology of, of, of our anthropogenic climate change. So, right. And, and, so that's, and, and that's so. no less fantastic than the notion that there's a there's secret alien race that is... Right depending on your point of view, are overlords or, or created or us or created whatever. us or coming to earth the and visiting warship. a secret or who who knows whatever, you know, but but the point is that what we, is your wild? We, we already believe lots of mythologies. What's my wild card? Yeah. Solar flare, EMP, no, collapse of the dollar. Collapse okay. of the dollar. We haven't really talked about financial stuff. We're kind of running out of time, so we don't have time to do that. But this remains a major threat, particularly in concert mm. with some other black swan. That's event. better than my alien. One, well, oftentimes, <laughs> you know, oftentimes you find that these hyperinflationary events are a are triggered by a war or the collapse of a government or something like that. And if things become too more too much more unstable here in the United States than they already are, I mean, the instability that yeah. exists already has already caused you know, U.S. Treasuries to be downgraded several times and correspondingly weaken, weakening the US, the fiat U.S. dollar. And we don't yeah. have time to talk about all that. But suffice it to say, we could be looking at that in the coming year. Dennis, you got 55 seconds, sir. <laughs> Escape or release of further engineered biologics. That's what that's what I find the most terrifying possibility. Elaborate. Uh, additional bioweapons research that escapes the lab or is otherwise utilized against the population. Mm. Uh, Another once, COVID, but maybe more dangerous, right. actually dangerous this time. Let's just say you do this against an enemy state because you have a limited operation that you want to do something with it, but you can't limit, you can't limit biology. There's no guarantee you're limiting that. Yeah. And then it's, you know, there's no, a that. worldwide pandemic. That's actually a pandemic. That's really dangerous. Wow. Is not inescapable in this, at this point. I mean, I think there's a possibility. Wow, gentlemen, thank you for that uh, sobering segment there. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode. Uh, remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And please join us for another episode on Monday.